Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Our host, Mike, is listening in silent judgment right now because he's lost his voice. Joining me today are Craig. Hi, Tori. Dave. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. And me, Tori. Hello, Internet. So we start every week with good thing. Uh, Craig, what's your good thing? Well, my good thing for this week uh, is, is a classic book series that I'm hoping mostly all of you know but it's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Trilogy. I know that one. I, I think I lent it to you, in fact. Might still have it. Um, it's really good, guys. Uh, it's it's a five-book trilogy. I think he calls it a trilogy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, there's there's a radio series. I think that's how it started. There's books. Oh, yeah. there, there was a good movie and a not-so-good movie. You know, that's, that sort of thing. Um, well, a BBC um, series and a not-so-good movie. Right, right. Um, so, you know, whichever way you want to ingest the content, I would say go for it. Uh, but, 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 but the not so good movie was my introduction to Martin Freeman. Hello. Okay. <laughs> um, also, the, the not so good movie had the song so long and thanks for all the fish. And it was had Sam Rockwell. He's really good. It was good. Like there were good things about it. Sure. sure. Oh, Alan Rickman as as the as the robot yes oh yeah wow there are a lot of good things so it was it was good but you know it wasn't it wasn't very faithful i think is what he's getting at but that's okay it's it's supposed to be not faithful because that's what hitchhiker's guide every adaptation is different on purpose right so like the uh like the books differ slightly from the original radio series the the text adventure even differs from the book if you haven't played the text adventure, it's a doozy. Okay. For those of you who aren't in the know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a sci-fi parody type series. Um, it's it's very not serious at all, but it's about um, Arthur Dent, this normal human character who ends up getting whisked into space by his friend, Ford Prefect. Uh, after Earth is demolished to make way for hyperspace by- bypass. So, uh, yeah, stuff happens. Um, very funny. My personal favorite, I think the funniest is probably Life, the Universe, and Everything, which is the third book of the series. Um, I also am a fan of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Uh, but it, I, I think the funniest is definitely Life, the Universe, and Everything. It just has so much humor injected in the text. Like, for the book, I think that's the funniest book. I've actually only read... The first two, like uh, Hitchhikers, Fresh at the End of the Universe, and then a few chapters of Life of the Universe and everything. I haven't actually finished reading the series, but oh gosh, I have. I should. I just picked up Dirk Gently, so I might do that instead. But I have listened to the entire radio series. Uh, a few years back, I had the opportunity of uh, picking up a part-time job where I stuffed spam letters into envelopes. Um 
and the guy just gave me like, here's the keys to my office. Just go in whenever you want and record your hours. So like I would get off my normal day job. Then I'd go into this office at 1 a.m. And then from like 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. I would stuff envelopes and listen to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was great. Oh, my gosh. I had a very similar job in high school. So highly recommend anyone here who has not checked it out before do so. There's a lot of pop culture type things that you need to know if if you are slightly nerdy at all. Neat. All right, Dave, what's your good thing? My good thing this week is walking, as in the exercise, taking a walk. I a couple of weeks ago, I had to get something done on my car. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to park at the riverfront in Delaware and Holy cow, you guys. Delaware's got state parks connecting. Like, I think they're planning yeah, to. Yeah. It's, it's not done yet. Like, you can walk from the north end of Delaware all the way to the south end of Delaware on nature trails. Like, almost the entire state, north to south or whatever. Like, and I, I, I'd spent a good... I got on the trail at the riverfront, walked for two and a half hours, and then I was like, ah, oh, I should walk back. <laughs> um, so I had a really, really good day. Just taking a walk it was uh it was really nice out a couple tuesdays ago here in delaware and also um a tangential good thing crunchy leaves and stepping on them (laughs) i have to say similar things happening around where i live in pennsylvania where they're sort of like making a giant trail and sort of connecting all these smaller parks it's so nice that they're doing stuff like this um yeah just taking a walk going through some some parks and everything it's so good I seem to recall that crunchy leaves was a good thing of yours in the past, Dave. (laughs) I couldn't remember if that was my good thing or Sylfreda's good thing. Well, it is definitely a good thing. Uh, So, Mike, you you can't talk right now, but if you want to type your good thing into the chat, we'll read it out for you. Actually, Mike did point out that his good thing is is a cracked video. Oh, yes. He shared that earlier. So if you guys are curious as to what Mike's good thing is, go on over to our Patreon. You do not have to give us money, but there is a link to our Discord if you're not a member of our Discord yet. Uh, Join our community. We have lots of different channels where we post uh, some memes. We talk about the episode. We talk about spoiler stuff if you're into that and do some theory crafting. Um, Or we just have fun and play Among Us or something like that. You know, good times. Good times indeed. So, yes, we do have a Good Things channel where we generally post our good things, except for me. I'm really bad about that. But if you want to see more of our good things, just uh, join our Discord and then you can have a look at those. Or you can post your own because it's not just for us. That's true. Good things are open to everybody. Yes, and Mike is correct. None of us watch the video, so we can't tell anyone what we're talking about. Um, Very observant of you, Mike. Um, So my good thing, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you guys about my garden flowers that I've enjoyed this year. Uh, So I'm going to tell you guys about another flower. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about four o'clocks. And they're called four o'clocks because they generally bloom in the afternoon, in the um, late afternoon sunlight. And so it's a little flowering plant. Uh, They can grow really tall if you put them in a fully sun sunny spot. Um, But mine only got up about two or three feet this year. Uh, They come in lots of different colors. Decently tall. Yeah, that's decently tall, but it's not like six or eight feet tall, which you can get from some hollyhocks. Wow. Um, 
But so the thing I like about four clocks is that they're really easy to propagate. Some people would say that they're invasive. There's two types of gardeners. The ones that are like, four o'clocks are great. They spread everywhere. And the ones that are like, oh my gosh, there's four o'clocks. They spread everywhere. I'm the first type. So they grow really well from cuttings. In fact, I started mine from cuttings that I got from my mother-in-law. And they also grow really well from seed. And it's really easy to get the seeds off of them because these are big seeds. You know, some flowers have little bitty tiny seeds that are like nearly invisible to the naked eye. But four o'clocks give like pencil eraser size seeds that look like this is the best part. They look like tiny hand grenades. So... I'll take some pictures of my four o'clock seeds and I'll post them so you guys can see what I'm talking about. But they grow fast, they grow well, and the colors are gorgeous and also tiny hand grenades. So that's my good thing. All right, Dave, you read some chapters, right? Well, he had two weeks to do it, so I hope so. Do you want to tell us about the chapters, Dave? Would you like to be off mute and tell us about the chapters, Dave? I uh, This week I read, well... For this episode, I read chapters three through five of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson, and I got my reading done super early for this recording. So this is going to be one of those uh, going to be one of those what the heck did I mean episodes? <laughs> read the bullet well, points. We're going to work through these together. I hope you read chapter two as well because it was chapters two through five this week. Oh yeah, bridge four, two, bridge <laughs> two. Bridge chapter four, four. chapter four, chapter four, chapter two, bridge four. We'll get there. We'll get it figured out. Why don't you tell us about bridge four? There's this guy named Kaladin. I meant from your notes. And this best character named Silfrena. All right, let's check it out. Chapter two, bridge four. There sure are a lot of empty barracks. Time to keep Dalinar alive. But what about the assassin in white? Sylphrena likes Dalinar. I've heard of Lieutenant Don, but never Lieutenant Nun. <laughs> I forgot about oh. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Dan, but not Lieutenant Nan. <laughs> All right. This, it's just downhill from here, guys. Moash is a killer. Uh, all right. There's a, there's a break here. Um... So Kaladin et al. are checking out, you know, with their quarters and they're like, wow, Sadius's betrayal sure did leave a lot of people dead and a lot of widows and orphans. Uh, And then they're eating stew and stew's like, don't eat me. I'm I'm all skin and bones. So they go. See, this is the quality stuff you guys get when it's been over a week since we did the reading. Um... So, yeah, Kaladin's trying to be like, all right, our main objective, we need to keep Dalinar alive because, you know, we don't, if Dalinar falls, then, you know, their their claim to freedom is pretty much going to be nullified. So they want to get their, they want to do their job. But then there's this assassin in white, uh, Sezeth, I guess. And Sulfrena likes Dalinar. I don't remember, did she like him before? I think it's the first time it's explicitly referenced. Yeah, I don't think she really knew him before. There was someone she didn't like. Maybe it was Sadius. I don't know. Wasn't she like, oh, I don't like that guy. I don't like where she's like, I don't trust Shardblades or something like that. Maybe that has something to do with the Uh, the, Like, I think she doesn't like Adeline or something. 
So maybe now she likes Dalinar because he gave up his shards. And I wonder if she has kind of this affront to the shards because of the recreants. And then we also get a Lieutenant Don because uh, Kaladin is a lieutenant. And no, Kaladin's you know, the captain. He's, he's the captain. But yeah. there's, oh, the highest. The highest ranking the highest that ranking can be given is captain. Okay, but it's like it's really unheard of to give dark guys this rank. Yeah, and he needs lieutenants because otherwise you just have one other level for dark guys, which would be sergeants. It's like that doesn't make sense. So you guys are my lieutenant. Okay. Um, and Moash is a killer. I don't know why that came up, but it did. All right, next scene: Hobligator, Khalid Inc. <laughs> right, I lied. It did get better. Khalid Inc. <laughs> <laughs> this is the scene where they get the tattoos. Yeah. So the first one to get the tattoo is Hob. So he's <laughs> and he gets the tattoos on his face. So he's a Hobligator. Hobligator. And then Khaled Inc. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, what does Shen think of the war? Bridge four is heroes. Uh, Rind is a tenor, but he sounds more like a sopranist. And I remember I had to look this up because typically a soprano. Uh, refers to a female voice uh, and the general term would be sopranist although they do say male soprano to differentiate but uh and this dude's name is he's a tenor i mean you know he's 10th he's 10th don right so they call him a tenor but he has a high-pitched voice so he doesn't sound like a tenor he sounds like a sopranist um and i don't know is he the tattoo oh he's the oh he's the haberdasher he's like the quartermaster that gives them their uniforms and stuff and they all rip off their uh they rip off their whatever, and they're like, "We're gonna. Their we don't. Badges. We want. We want our own patch." And that's the end of chapter two. So they get tattoos and they get uniforms. It was pretty cool. It was like it showed the camaraderie of Bridge Four. Uh, and Shen, you know, Shen's there, and Kaladin is just like, "I wonder, I wonder what Shen thinks of this war that you know we're fighting against the Parshendi here." Shen being the Parshman, Bridgeman, if you've forgotten since the first book. Uh, and I just think like he never says anything. I feel like he's just going to be like Silent Bob where he doesn't say anything. And then just one scene, all of a sudden, you're just going to have this like whole long rant. Like every every uh, every book, every movie, one rant, every <laughs> like every uh, every Kevin Smith movie. The Silent Bob just has one like big speech. That's what it's going to be. That's what I'm expecting from Shen. I'm surprised how much I talk about Kevin Smith. Like, I'd never even really watched that many of his movies. All right. Sounds pretty good. Mike says, the sign on the truck said Critters of Hollywood. Is that in reference to a Kevin Smith movie? Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back or Reboot or whatever? Maybe. The re- it's definitely yeah, a reboot. One, yeah. it's, it's the series reboot. Okay. Yeah, the one that came out this year, right? Um. So, do we have any questions for Dave related to this chapter? I don't. All right. So uh, I guess it's time for, yeah, chapter three. Tell us about chapter three. It was his best, least insightful rant, just yelling at Jason Muse. All right. Uh, chapter three. Um, there is a picture before chapter three, and it's a blooper with a Koopa shell. The they cro- <laughs> they crossbred Bowser's army. Do you remember that blooper? The Santhid, right? I think that's what it's, it's called. It's I the one what Shalon drew. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to say silithid, but that's like wait, silithus is a zone iceberg jellyfish thing. That is <laughs> iceberg. Jo- it's a it's a blooper with a Koopa shell. It's a 
Klooper. Bloop, All right. Chapter three. Pattern. Oh, man. I remember this one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Yasna's Elantris. Wait, 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 wait. It's a Koopa Bloopa Trooper. There you go. Carry Koopa on. Koopa Bloopa Trooper. Got it. All right. Chapter three. Pattern. Yasna's Elantris. Shalon sees more eye squigglies, but verily it be the nature of eye squigglies to vanish when you try to look directly at them. Haunting symmetry, you say. Shalon takes a selfie of an eye squiggly. Naked drawing. Oh, it's not an eye squiggly after all. It's just fractals. So you know that, like, I posted this in Discord and I think Dave Theories. Uh, the Manjiggly... What's that called? That's that really famous fractal. Yeah, the Mandelbot. Yeah, so it's like it's this really intricate pattern and like in I feel like it's it's like a fractal. It just goes on infinitely, like gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but continues on infinitely. That's what I feel like this thing would look like. Um all right. So I have a scene break here. So uh, I wrote Yasna's Elantris because Shalon is reading the first published work of Yasna, her Elantris, if you will. <laughs> oh, that's and why you said that. I was she, curious. Yeah, apparently. I'm remembering. <laughs> I'm doing better than I thought, you guys. And she sees uh, like the eye squiggly that she saw in the first chapter. It's like the little shape that's going around. Uh, she sees it again. and But every time she tries to look at it, it vanishes. And then she manages to catch it and she takes a selfie of it. And the shape has a haunting symmetry to it, she says. And we all know that symmetry is important on the world of Roshar. So I made note oh, of that. Okay. I noticed. I got you, Brandon. What? We can confirm pattern does indeed look like a, a fractal. He is a fractal yeah. pattern. Not it, It's not the Mandelbrot. Um, there are... Yeah, I feel like there's more right angles in this one. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of different fractals that exist. And, and yeah, he looks like one. You can confirm that? How? Word of Brandon? No, this is the description. I'm just letting you know that you're oh, right, Dave. I'm letting you know. You know. <laughs> so I was paying attention. I wasn't just yes, exactly. Out of thin air. All right, that's good. Good to know. All right, so she takes a selfie of the fractal. And then next scene, uh, pet fractal spren. Yasna has a Solfrena named Ivory. He's a little inky man. <laughs> yeah, they Solfrena. <laughs> Solfrena named Ivory. Uh, it also looks nothing like Solfrena. Well, we're we're gonna get there because there's a lot of interesting stuff here. All right, so I, my guess, like when I'm reading, like that's the that might like is, that must be Yasna's honor spren, Ivory, the like the little inky man. Um, and then is Fractal Spren the first honor Spren to manifest as a cryptic? Pfft, I already figured out that Spren can be categorized into two major groups, blah, blah, blah. Shalon is relieved of scholarly pursuits so she can play with Fractal Doggo. <laughs> That's her exactly fractal, what happens, yeah. Her, yeah, she's like, the Fractal Spren just is a doggo. Like, there's, it just goes around and arf arfs and just, like, follows her around and just wants to be loved. Like, it's just, it's just a dog. Shaped like a fractal. Not, not just a dog, but a pepper. It is it's a pepper. Heckin' doggos. Bamboozled again. Bamboozled again. <laughs> In the chat, uh, Mike I, points out all vampires are Draculas, all sprinters, Solfrenas. No, all honor sprinters, Solfrenas, Mike. 
Um, but yeah, if you guys if you guys forgot about the Lucid chart films, uh, there's a bajillion more of them even since the last time we talked about Lucid chart on YouTube. So just heckin' doggos. And when I'm not bamboozled, again. I feel bad. I need to be bamboozled. Bamboozled again. There were so many bamboozlings on Reddit yesterday because of Halloween. People dressing up their doggos. <laughs> it was adorable. There's a. There was also. There was an episode, I think, from last Halloween. It was just dogs dressed up as things. It was like bamboozleception. <laughs> All right, let's go back on track and talk about the uh, fractal doggo. All right, so this is the so like this fractal spren or it's I guess it's an honor spren uh, that's you know like Sulfrena or I'm guessing Ivory, right? It's it's Shallan's Honor Spren, and Honor Spren can take the form of another Spren, and there's a type of Spren called a Cryptic, or as they don't like to be called, a Lie Spren. Did I remember that right? Yeah. I didn't. For some other, reason, other people it sounds really important, and I didn't write it down, but I remembered anyway. Uh, so yeah, so they are sometimes called Lie Spren, but they don't like that. The proper name is Cryptic, and so Shallan's Honor Spren is taking this form. And kind of like how, you know, when Sulfrena was first being formed, you know, she had kind of vague memories and didn't really know. Like, it's kind of like it's in the early stages of attaching itself to Shallan. So, yeah, this should be interesting. Um, also, I had I had a note here. Interestingly, Ivory, uh, you know, assuming I'm right, Ivory is a an honor sprint. Shallan can see Ivory, even though Ivory is Yasna's honor sprint. Now, the only person that I can recall that sees another person's honor sprint is Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore. So I'm wondering if maybe Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore is one of the Lost Radiants. I don't expect you to answer. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just want more content for Dave theories. I do not care. All right, my official Dave theory: Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore is a lost radiant. We need more content for that channel. That's all I care about. I posted some stuff. You did. You did post some stuff for the last. I did. Oh, I actually have a Dave theory related to uh, Ninja Cowboy Batman or Cowboy Magic Cowboy Batman. I also wrote. Oh, this one's good too. So related to uh, to Roshar, I feel like shard blades must cut stuff in the cognitive realm. Uh, I'll just read it. Probably so shard blades can't detach something physically if it's connected to something with a conscious, right? So maybe it actually like it disconnect. Like if you chop someone's arm with a shard blade, they'll lose use of that arm. I I'm gonna guess because it actually severs the arm in the cognitive realm. So the arm is still there physically, but like the little the little orby balls are disconnected from the body in the cognitive realm and thus you can't move that arm anymore. That's why we lose function of it. So now I'm wondering if like Yasna and Shalan who are exploring Shadesmar, maybe they'll find some way to reattach someone who lost use of a limb due to a shard blade, like the, they'll be able to fix it in the cognitive realm. And I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what, you know, Renarin's ailment is. And I wonder if it's some kind of disconnect in the cognitive realm, realm as well. So I'm so kind of curious. described as a blood sickness, whatever the heck a that is. A blood sickness? Well, like hemoph- hemophobia. I, yeah, I think he gets like, like hemophobia. <laughs> fainting spells or something. Yeah, whatever. But 
I wonder if it's some kind of like disconnect in the cognitive realm, and I wonder if Yasna and Shalon will figure out a way to fix it. And you know, they're they're going head into the shattered planes now, so they'll have an opportunity to at least investigate it, perhaps. And that's the Dave theory of the week. The other one uh, relating, you know, if you're curious, relating to Ninja Cowboy, Magic Cowboy, Batman, uh, Steel Put, Steel Pushing Sheriff. Um, what is it called? Wax. <laughs> the Wax and Wayne series. Wax and Wayne. Wax and yeah. Wax The book. Whatever. Alloy of uh, law. Alloy of law. Alloy of law. Yeah. So if you're curious Mistborn about what my theory two. regarding alloy of law is, Mistborn Era Two, uh, join our Discord, Patreon.com/slash/CosmerCast, and there is a link to our Discord server. You can join and you can keep up with these Dave theories live. But I won't tease you. I'll actually We're tell you. Two plugs um, for the Discord so this episode. It's kind of. <laughs> It's kind of like a meta theory, like trying to get in Brandon's head a little bit here. And I realized that um, that like the and I don't know what Brandon's personal view is, but the official view of the Mormon Church is that the Apostle John is still alive. So I kind of wonder if Marsh is at least in a small way a stand in for the Apostle John uh, the way Brandon sees it. I don't. That's just a fun little like meta theory. I don't you know. Just a thought I threw out um, there. Tori, you, do you know stuff about Mormonism? I do know stuff about Mormonism. Okay. So that, therefore you two can theory craft this meta theory because I know nothing about Mormonism. It's not it really Cosmere related at all. It's just kind of like this might have been partly inspired by Brandon's faith, you know? I mean, it sounds valid. It I, does. I it. All right. So yeah, Mike, Mike confirms that Brandon does tie Mormonism into his books in various ways, but you don't know the details. I would say the biggest detail is that people can become gods and get planets. Like that's a big thing in Mormonism, pretty sure. Yeah, that would be the biggest thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Back to the Sulfrena book. Any questions about chapter four, three? How did three. I scroll down that far? Three. Is is pattern freckle, freckle chapter? Is this pattern your new favorite character? No, it's still Nightblood. <laughs> I meant for this book. Hello, it's the same universe, Craig. That's true. Okay, I'll I'll buy. Nightblood is my favorite character. And listen, all right, Tensoon's great, but Nightblood is my favorite character in Romeo and Juliet. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Any questions about Fractal Three? Not no. Here. All right. I think I pretty much went over like the like the meta theories about Sprint. So yeah, there's this other thing. I don't, did it come up in? I think it came up in this chapter. There's like a lot of um, like Sprint and cognitive realm back theory here, which is like really cool. Or was that in chapter? Um, maybe it was in this chapter, and I just didn't write it down. But somewhere in this week's chapters. Uh, we learned that Spren are ideas that kind of, you know, existed in the cognitive realm and then gained sentience and came out into the physical yeah, that's realm. This chapter. Yeah. That's really cool. Like, I I kind of am starting. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like this book for the same reasons that Mike likes this book. But like, that's I eat that stuff up, like all of the metaphysical, like world building, I mean, that's, like, that's like mechanics. Thing. That's stuff. what I love about. Like yeah, so I'm already we're already seeing that like mechanics world building. Like if you want to do some theory, really loving me it. Sometime, Dave, we got to do that after I finish Oathbringer. Yeah, we we have to wait for you to catch up. 
unfortunately. After I finished the Solfrana short story, my favorite book in the Cosmere that I've never read. All right, chapter four. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Chapter four, Tater of Secrets. I'm sure that's not what it was called, and I don't know why I wrote it, and I'm not looking it up. Because <laughs> it was about potatoes. Go on. Chapter four, Tater of Secrets, I guess. Vision, Obsidian Fortress. Cabe thinks he saw something. Dalinar talks too fast. This is a kissing book. I'm sad that Mike's not here to react to that vocally. Uh, Dalinar needs a nap. 62 days. Death follows. Uh, and I only have two bullet points after the break. When did Adeline and Kaladin fight? And the Everstorm cometh. Okay, so why don't you break those down for us? All right, um, Vision. Uh, you know, that's Dalinar having one of them fever visions. Uh, in the Vision, he sees an obsidian fortress, which, come on, we've already done Black Rock Spire. Come on, Brandon. <laughs> maybe it's maybe like Black Rock Maybe it's like a... Maybe this vision actually takes place on schedule, or maybe like there's some kind of overarching theme of Black Rock Spire within the Cosmere. Like we can go a lot of places with this. Um, <laughs> who's Cabe is some guy. So uh, Dalinar in his vision is a dude, and there's another dude named Cabe or Seb or Seb. Uh, C A. Charlie, Alpha, Echo, Foxtrot. What is happening Be to this not podcast? Bravo. Right <laughs> okay, we're now going to do our alphabet. <laughs> it's Bravo. I, I meant Bravo. I said Boxtrot, but it's Bravo. Charlie, Alpha, You got to play more uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Yeah, that's a great way to force myself to learn the NATO alphabet. All right. Uh, and Dalinar, remember, he's talking out loud so that he's purposely saying things out loud within the visions so that uh, Navani can write down what he's saying and she can try to figure out this ancient language that he's talking during the visions. Um, and then it's a kissing book, and then Dalinar needs a nap. I guess he kissed too hard. I don't know. Uh, and then he also... Oh, there's. does he get like a letter or something? Or like someone wrote... Like sent him a letter that said sixty two days death follows or something. That's at the end. All right. At the um, end of the chapter, they talk. There's writing on the wall. Yeah, the wall on the wall. All right. Yeah. So whatever that means. Um, and then well, something. Adeline. Oh, because Cal. Correct. Kaladin's here. Like that's another big thing in this chapter is that Kaladin, being the personal bodyguard of Dalinar and now his family, is. Well, present he's not in the meeting. room. He's uh, he is in the room. Not not during the vision. I think uh, okay. during maybe the it, it might be chapter. Modern. Maybe it's chapter five where he's in the room. There yeah. is that uh, he's definitely in the room. Oh, he's yeah, that's right. It's chapter five. He's in the room when they're having the meeting with uh, the other people. Yeah, and so Adeline and Kaladin kind of pass by and glare at each other, and I don't remember them actually fighting, but it's hinted that that they did. So, if you remember back in the first book, uh, Adeline was the one who saved the the prostitute lady, um, right? And Calden like saw that, and then Adeline's like, "Okay, I can't go to the meeting anymore." And he gives Calden a a spear, a, a very expensive spear, and is like, "Go relay this message or something." Calden's like, oh, "I ain't listen to some light eyes," light and then he keeps the money. But I'll take your money. Well, so that that is the extent of, okay. of their interchange. No, oh, no. 
at the uh, at the 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 battle at the tower yeah, at, the, the battle, at the end of the, the bridge. Book, uh, when when Adolin's like, no, I have to go rescue my father, and Kaladin's like, no, you're not. You're gonna take your men and you're gonna leave, and I'm gonna go rescue your father. And Adolin right. very well. Kaladin gives, as Mike says in in our chat, Kaladin gave Adolin orders, and Adolin did not like it. So that's where they. They had words. They had words. They didn't fight fight. No. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't come to fisticuffs. They didn't come off on the right foot the, with the, each other in the beginning. Off with his foot. Uh, yeah, Adeline might not remember the first interaction, as Mike says. Uh, okay. And the Everstorm comes. That's the end of chapter four. You don't want to tell us about the vision? There's someone was coming. That was the vision. Someone's coming. No, we had a cool thing growing out of the ground to go on. Do you not remember? So, uh, during the uh, during the vision, someone tells Dalinar to keep an eye out for a sprin that's behaving weird, and then it like like it's it's in the earth uh, underneath the water because it seems like they're at the pure lake, and it starts growing. Right? It's like lifts itself out of the water, and then of course. The, the speech that happens at the end starts happening. So you don't actually get a fight scene or anything. Mike says the creature is named a Thunderclass, which is a sweet name for a band. The Thunderclass. Uh, the Thunderclass was the thing from the prelude. Opening for Wild Stallions. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. Moving on. I think so. Oh, and then, did you remark that Dalinar was speaking two different languages that he switched halfway or something like that? Mm. But Navani noticed, and she's like, "Why do you got to do this to me?" Nope. Okay. Although she does, she does tell him to talk slower. This was a highly re- memorable chapter, as you can tell by Dave. Chapter five: Ideals, Proclamation, Food, Silfrena. I oh, this is the proclamation that Dalinar sends out. He's like, "I'm your boy now. You gotta." Be, you got to be nice. Do it to my each way other. or this is the highway. Um, and then there's some food, and then there's some sulfrena. That's the first scene. I don't, I don't know. Okay, that is very clear. Do you want me to summarize for you? Yeah. So what happens before the first uh, perception break? Well, Dalinar gives the proclamation as you mentioned, which is that gem hearts are collected by the king now, and he distributes them based on you know, whatever merit he decides. Uh, this, of course, differs from in the first book where they're just competing for the gem hearts. And it's very much like you're on your own. Now it's supposed to seem like it's more of a cohesive kingdom. Of course, of course. there's concern that the high princes aren't going to like it because, you know, they were used to doing things their own way and getting lots of money from the giant gem hearts. So, so. Dalinar wants it to be all for one and one for a fluffy They need to be center. a combined kingdom, not a bunch of petty high princes. And it's like, this is one of the first things we gotta, we gotta make do. And Dalinar can't give a spanking to everyone. It's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, next scene. And what did Sophrena do in this scene? Uh, chill with the, with the, well, so... Uh, actually, this part I do have to read from the Copper Mine summary because I don't fully remember. Calden tells Rock to start cooking. I'm not going to say his his real name. I'm going to say Rock to start cooking for wow, the other parrot. Rock, right? to sort of like get them out of their shell. Um, 
And of course, Syl is worrying that Kaladin doesn't seem to laugh. He just he gave a smile or something, but he didn't really laugh at the jokes. Alright. Um, so she was just adorable. Got it. Next scene, uh Trollo Lol Sadius and Eli sends out spies. His wife's name is Eli. Like that's yep. ridiculous. Come on, really? Really? Trollo Lol Sadius. Actual um Her name is Eli. <laughs> it's a uh, shoot. Why did I forget the name? Palindrome. It's an actual palindrome. Uh, Mike would like me to provide the actual pronunciation, which is ELA. ELA. I like I lie better. That's like, sounds like something like Sadius would be into. I lie. Hmm, that's right on the nose, Brandon. (laughs) What are you trying to say? So this, we actually get a scene from the perspective of Sadius, which is pretty cool. And he's just like, he just like basically just destroys his coffee table with his sharp blade, and he's like, "What is your game, Dalinar?" And then his wife comes in and she's like, "God, did you break the coffee table?" And he's like, no. "You're sure?" And they, she's it, like, it is clear that they do like each other very much." Yeah, they 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 have a nice dynamic. I really I like the relationship between Eli and Sadius. I forget Sadius's real first name, but every time I see it, I just want to write Trollolo. It's Toriel. Well, Troll? Tori? Toriel? Goat Mom from Toriel. His name is Toral. Toral. Isn't that the guy from Harry Potter that yeah, had exactly Dumbledore on the back of his head? Be- e- evil Dumbledore on the back of his head? S- Snape. No. <laughs> Quirrell? Snake, snake nose. He had snake nose man on the back of his head. Here we yeah, go. We got thinking. a was it Harry Potter reference for this episode. Said Quirrell, but that sounds like Quirrell. Yeah, that was Quirrell. Yeah. So I think we skipped the, the section where Kaladin had the, the powwow. Well, Dalinar and Co had the powwow and Kaladin was allowed to stay. That's the last scene. We're getting to that. All right. There's a oh, little well, break here where we see out of order all right uh so you know i is like i'm gonna send out spies go kill delano for you hon and that's the end of that scene and then the the final part of the final chapter of this week uh, all right a gourd's duty were there was that a joke or did i just misspell guard it is it is hot october <laughs> november first <laughs> so you know you know you can have gourds in November, we, we have. Even if you're, possibly, you're making puns. That's good. I mean, like two weeks in advance, even. All right. Uh, there's no other way onto that balcony, right? So, Frenin notices a paperweight on a desk of all places. What a strange place to keep a paperweight. High Prince Hat Ham, <laughs> be mad. Uh, hey, if the High Princes unite to take down Dalinar, does that count as uniting them? King. King Elho Cry, spanking everyone into obedience. Oh, I guess Dalinar can spank everyone. Uh, spanking through duels. Where did Wit run off to? Stick a feather on a stick and call it macaroni. Doe, bandit patrol side quest. You gotta get some XPs. I think we already talked at length about how Kaladin was there. He actually offers an uh, unwanted... But not un, like an unsolicited, but not unwelcome suggestion at some point. And yeah, I forget, you gotta spank kind of the high princes. Yeah, they gotta spank all the high princes through having Adil duel them. He's like Dalinar's like Adil, and I'm I'm taking off your your dueling. Adil's like what? Uh, 
I get to duel? You're, you're ungrounded. You're ungrounded from dueling. Go spank him. True. That's that's the plan in a nutshell. And that's the end of this week's chapters. Any <laughs> questions? Wink, fade out. No, not that kind of spanking. <laughs> um, I don't think I have any questions for you, Dave. Yeah, I don't have any questions either. Uh, all right. You guys can read Mike's comments and I'm going to piece the heck up on out of here. <laughs> all right. But Dave's gone. Dave's gone. Play the Bye, thing. Dave. Bye, Dave. And Dave's gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right, so let's talk some spoilers about this section before we go to our super spoiler section. Um, so, so commonplace spoilers, uh, if I may. I do have a couple of things to discuss. When when don't I? Yes, please. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is pattern. So I didn't quite realize this until this recent reread, but but Shalon takes the memory of pattern, draws him, and then the process of actually drawing him makes him manifest fully into the physical realm. So he was only partially in the physical realm before he was sort of like in between cognitive and physical. And every time she would look at him, he would disappear. I didn't even realize that she drew him in ink and then the ink rises off the paper. And then we got pattern. She actually draws him. That's quite an observation. Um, Now that reminds me of those ardents who were studying the uh, flame sprint. I think it was. Yeah. Where observing them made them do things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes sense because they are from the cognitive realm, which is what people's thoughts are. So anytime like for the, the ardents that measure a flame sprint, it actually their thoughts, since they see the numbers and they have the thoughts sort of roots the flame sprint into place. Sort of the same thing. It's Shalon. We already know her the when she takes a capital M memory. It's linking the three realms and allowing her to see something's identity. So her being able to draw a pattern sort of makes sense. She's looking at his identity and then he's able to, I guess, travel along that fully into the physical realm. There's probably something that happened because, you know, we already know Shalon had this bond forming with pattern before until she sort of regressed and started hiding her memory. So it's probably more related to that and something that she did and had to draw him back out again. So the we have pattern. That- what? Yes, we have pattern. The thing that surprised me about pattern is uh, so I just before we started this book, I just finished an Oathbringer reread, getting ready for Rhythm of War to come out and just seeing how far pattern has progressed yeah. in the space of from from the beginning of this book to the end of Oathbringer, um, because by by the end of Words of Radiance, he's basically fully conscious. Yes. It's funny because you look at Sulfrena and she's still sort of, I guess, childish. Like, she's still playful. Like, that's just her personality. But Pattern is much more serious. He still is very, uh, I think he takes things a little too seriously. That He doesn't quite understand jokes quite as well. But, you know, he's bonded with Shalon. He's going to learn them. Yeah, he's he's basically a dog at this point. And I love that comparison because we need more doggos. We do. Um so Dave should have fun with pattern, especially when we get to the no mating section, which is 
Isn't that Oathbringer? Yeah, that's, oh, no, an that's Oathbringer. in the book. Is it? Oh, no, when's it? No mating, guys. It's Oathbringer. Okay. Yeah. Gotta wait for that. Um, but Dave was talking about how he's calling everything Honor Spring, which is not correct. And I wasn't going to correct him because the book will eventually correct him. It will point out that there's Honor Spring and Ink Spring, which is what Ivory is. Cryptics, which is, of course, what Pattern is. These are all different types of sentient Spring. Uh, they actually have, you know, cities and stuff in Shadesmar. So th- this is what makes them different from other Sprint. Like when we see other Sprint in the cognitive realm, they're just sort of animals. They're feeding off of some type of emotion or something. But the actual sentient Sprint, you know, they're doing trade. They have cities. They have conversations with with other people if they wish. That sort of thing. So yeah, so they are not all types of honor Sprint. Dave will eventually figure out the difference. But we have seen three sentient Sprint here that are radiant. Uh, that that form the hell bonds to make radiance, I should say. We don't fully know why Rock can see them, but there's speculation that since he dipped his toe in cultivation's uh, perpendicularity, that sort of makes him able to see these sprint. Because normally they're hidden, although Pattern can't hide, probably because he was drawn by Shallan and he's in ink. Uh, so Pattern can't really hide himself, but Selfrena can hide herself. Yes, he he drank cultivations perpendicularity water so that's probably why he can see sprint he is not a lost radiant or anything like that but dave will figure that out because we're going to learn all about radiance in this book that's sort of like the theme of this book is let's learn about the radiance almost like a whole book of words of radiance <laughs> that's right all right mike has something about cultivations perpendicularity he is typing so unfortunately we do have to wait which means i get to look for the other thing i want to talk about Mike thinks that there's a perpendicularity, a shard pool, but there's also a regular lake on top of it. And that would be the Pure Lake, right? No. No. Pure Lake is in a different location from where Rock's people are. Oh, right. Yeah, Hornator Peaks are sort of like south Alethi, and the Pure Lake is to the west of uh, Yakaved. If if I remember my map correctly, which, by the way, guys, since we were talking about fractals, uh, the design of Roshar itself is a fractal. I'm not sure if we talked about it before, but there is a particular mathematical sequence that forms the fractal, which Roshar is designed for. And also, we will later find out that the Shattered Plains are also sort of fractal in design with how they were shattered. Although I think it's more... It looks like the sand patterns, so it's it's maybe it's not a fractal. Maybe I'm I'm missing that. But Roshar is drawn in the shape of a fractal. I f- I forget it unfortunately, but maybe maybe Coppermine has a link to it. Let's see if I can pull that up real quick. Oh gosh, there's a giant section on Roshar. So unfortunately, I will not be able to look at it right now. All I know is that it is shaped like that, and that's by design. There's a word of Brandon on it. I just don't. I can't tell you where or what. Neat. Cool. Now, uh, I will point out, Mike has mentioned that maybe Cultivation moved her, her perpendicularity. Keep in mind, from what we know, the shards, shard holders themselves don't really control where their perpendicularity is formed. I don't know if that's always the case or or if that's just Sezed. Like, that's sort of, that comes from what Sezed talked about. So I'm not sure if, like, Sezed just didn't have full control over it. Or in general, it just sort of happens somewhere that's relevant. All right. Um, 
what else did I have? Unfortunately, I read this chapter, you know, last week. So I don't fully remember. I did want to talk about Pattern. We did see a little brief snippet of Ivory, although he doesn't do much. And he apparently doesn't like to be discussed, which is his own thing. And and here it's actually referenced in in this chapter. Uh, was it chapter three? Ivory seems to be the only ink spren that's willing to bond. So we might not have any else callers for quite a while. Maybe after the honor spren or if, if we have a talk with them in Rhythm of War, maybe that will change. But as far as we know, I think Yasna is the only else caller. I can't think of another one. No, we weren't told. And Ivory seems to be the only one who is willing to, to form that bond. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have for, for this week. Unless Mike has something else. We do have a link to the fractal. That's nice. Uh, one of our listeners was able to pull out the word of Brandon. If you can post that in the... We should have a word of Brandon. Yeah, there's a word of Brandon section. It's modeled after the Julia set. So the Julia set is is the fractal that makes it. Julia set is... I have to do, know the math turn. Dave would know the math turn. Yeah, that's cool. And there's a lot of uh, fan drawings of pattern. I, and I feel like he's always drawn as constantly in motion. I feel like if if you saw a pattern that was constantly moving and changing, like it would stand out. And in general, pattern does not stand out. When he's like on Shalon's like dress or something, like people don't notice. He just looks like he's a design that's on there. I think it's only in certain times where it's basically when he's interacting with Shalon that he'll just be constantly rotating and changing. And it sounds like it's more of just looking at him and it seems like the lines and the angles just keep changing just because he's a fractal like that. I think it's just he's a fractal and that's sort of what it looks like. You can just keep looking, go deeper and deeper. And it's just it's just the lines never end. Um, Okay, so, yeah, that's all I had for this week. Uh, Corey, Mike, anything else? Not for this week's chapters. Okay, Mike might have something and then we'll move on to our special section. Pattern operates similar to the stamps from Emperor's Soul. Can't completely disappear. Correct, yeah. You can't hide the stamps, so why not use them? Looks raised, which is exactly what he's like. Could be an identity thing. Like We, we know the soul stamps from Emperor's Soul. They, they sort of tap into something's identity and make changes to it. And we know Shalon had to take a selfie of Pattern which we know looks into the identity of something and then draws it. So it just could be related to how related to identity, capital I identity somehow. All right. So why don't we talk about rhythm of war now? So for those of you listening, if you're not reading the preview chapters, you might want to move on from now, but we're going to be talking about the rhythm of war preview chapter. Specifically, we have two chapters to talk about this week, chapter 16 and 17. And guys, the book's coming out in like, what, three weeks? Yep, it's soon. It's November. So, yep. So we're moving into double spoiler time. Nice. All right. So, Tori, why don't you give us a summary of Chapter 16? Okay. Chapter 16. Um, so Professor Navani is telling us about the fused weapons. Um she says it's obvious because of how quickly they've come about that the fused must have used these in the past, like during past desolations. That's it for Professor Navani. Except no, it's not, because the rest of the chapter is from Navani's point of view. 
Yay, more Navani. Yes. To start with, she is interviewing the assassin in white. So uh, at this point in the story, Seth is in a prison cell. Like Dalinar felt like that was the best place to keep him. And He's guarding the cell. Right. He obeys Dalinar now. So, you know, Dalinar was just like, protect this cell. And he walked right in. Yeah. He does still have Nightblood with him. Uh, but they have convinced Nightblood to quit talking to all of the guards because it made everybody <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, I like that Nightblood's just like, I want to have a conversation with these other people. And they're like, stop it. Well, they, they tell Zeth to tell the Blade to stop it. But yeah, Nightblood's trying to do his thing. Um, there, oh. There's a side note I want to mention. Navani is sickened by Seth. Now, Seth killed Gavilar, so it sort of makes sense that maybe she'd be sickened by him. But I think it's specifically Nightblood that is making her feel sickened. It yeah, it sounds like the same description that Vivenna had in Warbreaker. I think Navani's just a good person and Nightblood sickens her. Yeah, Navani is too pure for this world and must be protected at all costs. So so she's sickened by Nightblood. She thinks it's Zeth. So if we can ever get Zeth to not hold Nightblood, maybe we'll see how Navani really feels about him. And Mike points out that Dalinar had to order Seth three times to get Nightblood to shut up. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, that's Nightblood for you. So Seth's only request for his prison cell was that he didn't want to be in the dark at all. So there's a bunch of spheres, sphere lamps in there. He places all lit up because he doesn't want to hang out in the dark. Um, and anyway, Navani is interviewing Seth about... Um, why did you kill Gavilar and what else was going on? And Zeth is like, well, I thought I was truthless, so uh, I had to do what I was told. Um, Navani points out that now Dalinar is Zeth's master. What happens if Dalinar dies? And Zeth is like, uh, I didn't think of that. Well, it, it's important to note that he was sworn to an oath stone before, and it's just whoever holds the stone, he has to obey, which is very weak. Because we saw how many times the the Ozone changed hands back in in the words of Radiance. I think. Yeah, I don't right. know. Yeah. Well, and Navani, Navani is like, well, how could you not think of that? Because that's kind of important. And he's like, uh, I, I just kind of didn't. Zeth and, does not have a backup plan. Right. But and it, at least it, he sworn to a person now. So it's it's not like, you know, an oath stone, he has to follow that around. At least it's one person, Dalinar. It's just better hope, number one, Dalinar's on team good guy, and two, he doesn't die. But, so, the next thing that we learn is that, um, so, Zeth has given Navani the weird sphere that Gavilar gave him at the time of his death. Right. Which was quite some time ago, and... They, he's only just got around to telling Navani about this because Navani didn't ask before. Um, so, like, it didn't occur to Seth to tell her that, oh, by the way, when your husband died, he gave me this weird thing. Um, combining that with the, you know, how could you not think about what you would do if Dalinar died? It's like, Seth has been following other people's orders for so long that he's has he lost the capacity to think for himself? Is he... Has he really it, doesn't. I mean, he was told by the other Shin that he's truthless. Like, it's sort of like a... It's a life-changing thing. He's basically seemed like he was shamed by the other Shin. Just like, you're, you're lower 
than anyone in our society. And it's like, I mean, he has to walk on stone, which his people view as sacred. It's that sort of thing. Um, he has that sort of worldview completely shattered. And like you said, he doesn't really think for himself. I will point out, we know that the fifth book is going to be from, it's going to be Zeth's book. So that might be his finding himself. And maybe he's going to move beyond the ideal of following Dalinar to following his own ideal. We don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but I suspect that's what we're going to see in the fifth book. So, yeah, it's a little concerning. And Navani is concerned about it because she, so she's, um, it's been a month since uh, she thought to ask Zeph, hey, was there anything on my husband's body when you killed him? And Zeph was like, yeah, there was this thing and I hid it. Um, and, and he went to fetch the thing, the this weird sphere. Um, and Navani is thinking, you know, this guy is obviously, there's something wrong with him in his head. And normally we would be trying to treat this man, but she's just so disgusted by him that uh she can't she can't think about helping him um is this the weird sphere we saw in the in the prologue chapter is that is that described here i think does anyone remember prologue of this book or the prologue of rhythm of war because we know he had stuff like navani saw he had something on him but i forget it was like that i know there was a pouch of spheres with void light in it right but there was also this sphere. I don't know if this is the same as those spheres. Like, did he have more than one? Um, I think this might have an unmade in it. That's my theory as well. Um, hey, nice. Because we know it's a nearly perfect, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. It's a nearly perfect gemstone. Uh, it holds whatever light is in it. Um, it's, it it's still glowing after like six light. years. Yeah. It's described as it doesn't feel like void light. It sort of scares me, guys. It's she she's studying it and they're like, why don't you try to draw it out? Like we already seen what happens when unmade get unleashed. But we're not there yet. We don't even know what unmade is in this. In fact, I'm going to I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. But we already know that the um, the unmade that sort of linked the singers. uh, Hold on, hold on. I have to figure out how to phrase this. But if you remember, there was an unmade who's behind everything uh, related to what the singers were doing way back during the record, like right before the recreants where they were gaining more powers in the, in old forms, despite it not during a, um, uh, what's, what's the, the big war thing, a fa- the false desolation. Thank you. During the false desolation, uh, there was an unmade behind that. And then one of the bondsmiths, that we read about had to do something which is what ripped the identity and connection of the singers and we and we that's how we got parchment and it's suspected that one of the unmade who was behind all of this connection type stuff was captured and put on a, in a gem this might be that gem this is a problem if he gets out so my theory is that this is the unmade behind all the connection stuff related to what singers could do during the false desolation. And if he's released, they're going to have a whole heap of trouble. And he's probably going to get out because, of course, he is. Why wouldn't he? I mean, that would make for an interesting story. Anyway, 
So, um, Navani leaves Seth behind, and uh, first, Seth is like, do you hate me? And she says, yes. And he's like, okay, good. Uh, thank you. He's like, he thinks he deserves to be hated. Poor Seth. Yeah. Um, he, he feels that. Um, real so, quick, what Mike said, I just want to bring up what Mike said in relation to my thing, was that singers didn't have access to their powers via Odium during the uh, false desolation because the Oath Pact didn't trigger. So there's a theory that Ishar, the Herald, might have bonded them, maybe using the bondsmith, maybe just doing his own bondsmith type powers. He bonded them to an unmade, which is when the unmade was sealed away that their connection identity was ripped away. So it it could be not necessarily the unmade who did it so much as maybe a bondsmith or Ishar was the one who linked everything together. Either way, their identity was destroyed during the false desolation. I'm sorry, Tori. Go ahead. You're okay. Um, so then Navani moves up the tower. Uh, she's in Irithiru, and she goes to this place called the Cloud Walk, which is like a really high up balcony thing where people go to take the air. Um, and she walks around up there. Um, and runs into her grandson, little Gavinor, um, is there with uh, his attendant, and and he's all like, "Grandma!" And it's the sweetest thing ever. She he he talks about what he's been doing today, and and she gives him grandma hugs, and uh, and she's too perfect for this world. Um, and little Gavinor is like, "I want Grandpa to teach me how to use a sword," and she's like. <laughs> Uh, maybe later. And he's like, but all the other boys my age are doing it. And and he's like, you know, I need the sword so I can defeat the bad guys. And that kind of breaks her heart a little bit because she, she wants him to still be childlike and innocent. And uh, yeah. it, it's horrible the things he's seen. Um, yeah. But she promises she'll talk to Dalinar about it. And um, But he came out of his shell, which is nice. Because apparently he was, I mean... He did yeah. get to see what happened to his mom. It's sort of really yeah. When when he was when he was first rescued, he uh, he was all traumatized. But now at least he he's talking and um, somewhat of a normal happy child. Um, anyway, so she parts from him and goes on to talk with uh, one of her scholars, um, some of her scholars, um, and they're all like, oh. oh. Gavin, Gavinor, is that his name? The yeah. kid? Yeah. The kid. He he says, I'll be able to find the man who killed my father and I could kill him. He's talking about Moash. He wants to kill Moash. As do we all. Yep, it's true. So the scholars point out that the barometer rises ahead of the, the high storms. Yeah. Which is not how high it pressure. normally works. Um. So Navani is theorizing about how this is um this is Irithiru being um alive, not really alive. What what what's the phrasing I'm looking like for preparing here? Preparing itself. So it's not quite alive, but it is reacting. Yes. The tower flexes, as Mike says. So yeah. you know it, it So I'm wondering I don't know anything about meteorology. Maybe one of our listeners does, but is this anything like how a hurricane would work? Because I know there's some weird things that, that can happen. Like, I know in general, storms are, you have a low pressure and a high pressure system meet. But it's, it's the storm itself is in the low pressure 
section because all of that high pressure sort of pushing, pushing, you know, wind and molecules and stuff into the low pressure area. But hurricanes are super powerful. And I know there's some big circular vertical thing happening. So does anyone from meteorology, can they speak up? Because I have no idea. I, I took one class on this back in college like 10 years ago. Mike says, I believe that temp and pressure are supposed to drop just before the storm hits. Like in general, that's what happens during a high storm. So it's specific to Urethru. And so Navani oh, oh. theorizes that... Hmm? Wait, that this, this ardent, his name's Benny, and you can't tell me otherwise. He's Benny. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's I, been a but yeah, he's, a, he's a Benny. They have released the uh, audiobook versions of these preview chapters on YouTube, but I have not listened to uh, to this one. So, anyway, so as Navani is talking with her scholars and she's theorizing about all of the great and wonderful things they could do with a fully functional tower, um, she digs that weird void light sphere out of her pocket and gives it to one of her scholars yeah. who used to be a jeweler. This, um, this scares me. Oh, not this part, but right after this. Go oh, ahead. I should probably mention that um, before she does that, she sees Dalinar and Teravangian walking around together. Teravangian is still in the picture, uh, even though Dalinar and company don't really trust him because what else are they going to do with him? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so, <laughs> Navani... I am glad that they don't, like, blindly trust Teravangian because we already know he's working with ODM and at least uh, Team Radiant suspects that. But unfortunately, he's nominally on their side, so they can't just get rid of him. He is their, like, strongest ally. He has the whole country of uh, Yakoved, and it's it would stink if that went over to ODM. So they're keeping him at arm's length. So... Back to the weird void sphere. Uh, Navani gives it to one of her scholars, and uh, that scholar slash engineer calls over some other engineers, and they're like, ooh, it's fancy. Uh, they say it's nearly flawless, and it could hold stormlight for months, um, maybe years longer for void light. And Navani's like, well, it was left in a cave for six years. Um, and she leaves it with them to study. And um, she suggests that they try moving the light in it between gemstones. Yeah, that scares me. They're they're going to try to draw out whatever's in there. They already know it's not quite void light. They mention it sort of feels it, it, it might look similar to void light, but it feels different. And again, I think it's one of the unmade. And if they try to draw that out, it's going to be so bad. And they're going to do that because Navani said, do that. I just hope they're not going to be successful. This won't end badly at all, Mike says. Yeah, exactly. And that's all we get from the weird void sphere. Uh, from there, Navani goes to... You will never see it again. Right. It's uh, totally not going to come up. It's not important. Um, Navani goes to a meeting. Uh, so Shalon and Adolin and uh, Dalinar and some other important people, I think, um, are there with the mink. Uh, who is the Herdazian general that they just rescued from Hearthstone. Um, and they want to talk to the mink about what they can do to improve their chances. Um, Adolin has some uh, quips at his father's expense. We're going to gloss over those. Um, and then Shalon and Dalinar use their um, 
radiant powers to summon the giant map of Roshar. And that is the end of that chapter. Cool. Yeah, I pretty much said what I needed to say spoiler-wise for this by yes. interrupting Tori. By interrupting Tori, yeah. Um, so moving on to chapter 17. Okay. Unless Mike had anything to add, but I don't see him typing anything, so we'll move on. He's he's silently judging currently. He's so good at it. <laughs> yeah, it's a practice hand. Chapter 17, Professor Navani talks about uh, there is a metal that's extremely light and can withstand the blows of a shard blade. Um, aluminum? Is it aluminum, though? Because I was under the impression that Rosharians already knew about aluminum. Didn't she mention aluminum I in some of her like, other Professor Navani notes? I feel like this is an alloy of aluminum, but I also don't know metallurgy. Um, I know that if you were to make some kind of armor with aluminum, it, excuse me, it probably wouldn't work out too well because it is sort of, I mean, it is light and they describe it as light, but it's sort of flimsy. So I don't think it would work very well. But maybe if it's yes, an alloy Mike says we would have to use, yeah, we would have to use tiny any tamatam. Yeah, it could be tiny ty tiny. Oh god, I can't even say fake words correctly. That's true. Tiny tiny any tamatam. Yep, that's the one. Well, whatever yeah. this thing is that is not aluminum, but seems like it could be aluminum or an alloy thereof, uh, the fuse didn't so do use I, it to I make point armor out. for their. Aluminum can definitely stop a shard blade. Like it'll stop the severing part of it from from severing something from because it doesn't go through aluminum. That's what I mean meant to say. But a regular sword would because aluminum is not that right. And they can't create it in great quantities. Which again, if if they're not in like the industrial revolution type age, which they're not, it, it can be hard when you don't have electricity just sitting around. It can be hard to really make aluminum. But like like you said, they are aware of aluminum. They used it to sort of block the um the uh span read things from reaching out. Mike says, unless they have Dustbringer type fuse to can create very hot fires. Maybe. But so yeah, there's this metal that is like aluminum, but probably not aluminum, um, that can withstand the blows of a shard blade and also resist being soul cast. And the fused uh, have some, but they don't have a lot of it, apparently, um, for they equip only themselves and not their average soldiers uh, yeah. with the yeah. armor made thereof. So it's their that. equivalent of shard plate, if you will. And that's it for Professor Navani. Except, no, wait, this is Navani again. Um, so this chapter picks up right where the last one left off in that Shalon and Dalinar are summoning a map. So they summon the map and the mink is all like, OMG, because he hasn't really seen a lot of the radiant magic. And uh, Navani's like, right, yeah, we're all used to this by now, but it's good to see it through fresh eyes and remember that this is actually a, a mystical, magical thing. Well, we we do get some description of like what's happening here and just how in depth this ability is. And it mentions that they tried to have Dalinar work with other Night Radiants to see right, what they kind of manifest. Because but they're, they're this, is the, in the dark. this is the combination of Lightweaver and Bondsmith powers. Right. Yeah. Um. But it's it's super in depth. It's I think someone put it in in the subreddit or was it in our channel? It's they, they're basically Google Earth. 
they made yeah. Google Earth. Like you can zoom in and you can like get details. Like you can actually see, you know, the buildings and you can maybe see people at the time of because it only happens from the, the high storm. It's whatever the high storm sees. So it's it's not like this is the current map as of now. It's whatever the high storm looked at when it went over the world. Because that's that's what Dalinar would have access. To. Yeah. And it, you can zoom in to the point where people are visible as little specks. So it's super good. Super useful. So they make their fancy map. And they even have little uh, stormlight glyphs uh, showing the numbers for like troop placements and movements and things. Um which is pretty detailed. Uh, yeah. The mink studies the map, and uh, while he's looking at the map, um, Yasna and Wit show up. And uh, very interesting, Wit is here, and there's some reference that something's happening between Yasna and Wit. Although I, I suspect there's nothing romantically happening between the two. But yeah, I suspect nothing. I, I suspect nothing romantic, but our other characters suspect it's romantic, right? Because they they can't think of any other reason for Yasna to be so close with Wit. All of a sudden, um, yeah. Navani goes so far as to to think, oh, you, you know, I'm her mother. I should be able to talk with her about intimate things like this. Uh, like that's her word is intimate, <laughs> and well, so Navani know, totally thinks we know there's a lot more behind Wit than the characters in the book thing. Uh, clearly, Yasna's in on it because, you know, Wit popped up when she came back from Shadesmar in Words of Radiance. So she knows that he knows stuff. We know he's Hoyd and knows stuff. But the other characters are like, why? They, mu- they must be lovers, which is like, eh, no. I mean, maybe. So that'll be interesting to learn more about. I just want to hear more, more from him because he knows stuff. This is Hoyd. Yeah, I feel like if he just got really drunk and told us everything he knew, that that would ruin the plot of the next, like, six books. <laughs> but can he become really drunk? That's he is question. so invested, I don't think he can actually be drunk. Like Captain America. Yeah, true. Hoyd is Captain America. You heard it here. So, um, Yasna asked the mink what he thinks of the map. And, um, forgive me, I don't remember all of the details, of where all of the troops are and how he comes to these conclusions. But he's like, uh, yeah, you've got these troops over here. Why don't you trust your allies? Um, and like he's figured out just from looking at the map and the troop placements that they don't trust Teravangian. And, he's uh, a really good general. Clearly, he's a great battlefield general. And he can like read the map and be like, okay, the best location for these troops would be here, but they're over there instead. And you would only do that if you don't trust your ally. So Dalinar admits that that is the case. Um, And the Mink's like, well, that complicates things. Uh, Dalinar really wants to try to retake Kolinar. uh, And he's kind of hoping that the Mink's going to tell him how to do that. But instead, the Mink is like, nope, nope, you need to take Makabak. I think that's what he said. Um, Because... Well, Amul, Amul. Yeah, you you need to drive the fused out of this area because they're they're sort of cut off. Uh, you could easily take it, and then you wouldn't have to worry about the fused being at your back on this point of the continent. And it would also give them um, access to. I don't remember. I didn't look at the map all that well, um, but it, it's strategically a good idea. So 
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I mean, it sounds good on paper. I know we don't we don't see the map like they do, but it sort of makes sense. You want a big victory. It would certainly bolster what their allies think. Like if they're not being selfish and are actually helping one of the other uh, alliance kingdoms, that might help draw in some of the other more neutral kingdoms to joining their coalition, which would be great. But uh, I will point out that it will probably put them up against Ishar at that point though. Like if they are successful in getting rid of the um the void bringers, I'm just gonna call them void bringers, even though that's not technically correct, from that area, from if they get rid of ODM's troops from there, I think then they'll be right against Ishar. And we don't know what Ishar's gonna do. Like he's just not doing anything. Yeah, we kind of I, I think it's mentioned, I don't remember if it was actually in the chapter or in the discussion on tour.com that I read immediately after the chapter. But it's like, if we press the fused up against Ishar, there's a chance that Ishar will be fighting them from that direction. And then um, we can fight them from the front and they'll kind of be smushed between the two armies. Uh, You know, just kind of hoping that Ishar would be on the, at least on the side of being against the fused. Yeah, I I cannot trust that at all. As as our fans... And avid listeners know we already do not trust Ishar because I read a very cool theory, which I unfortunately don't remember who came up with it, on the Cosmere subreddit that Ishar is up to no good and he's secretly working with ODM. And there's a lot of hints and references that he is certainly not on Team Good Guy. Um, So I'm not going to trust any of that. Uh, I will also point out that if they do decide to take the battle there, they're going to be coming up directly against Skybreakers, which are another Radiant Order that happens to be working with Odeon's... Well, they're working with Singers. That's specifically what they opted to do. So after the Mink tells them, okay, forget Kolinar, you need to be taking this other thing, um, they excuse him so that he can go and study their maps and things Um to make sure his assessment was correct. Uh, so Shalon and Adolin leave with him. Um, and the only people left in the room are um, Yasna, Dalinar, Navani, and Wit. Um, and Navani again is like, huh, Wit's still here. Like he's he's trusted enough to be in this very tight inner circle of mostly family. Um, I mean, I would is- want Hoyd there. He knows so much. Well, and um, Navani is especially suspicious because Yasna kind of relaxes from her, you know, standard being a queen posture. Um, it like visibly taking off her crown kind of thing. Um, and to to relax like that in front of wit. So Navani's mama radar is uh, on high alert. Yep. And... Dalinar is all like, oh, I really wanted to retake Kolinar. And Yasna's like, yeah, but I, I think this would be a great idea. Um, he knows it's the right thing to do, too. He just doesn't want to admit it. But he, even he knew, looking at the map, that this would be the best thing to do. Because he is still a battlefield general. It's just that, you know, it's sort of like his home, his pride versus practicality. Yeah. And part of it that that he admits is that he feels like there's just no way to win the war. And it um, has disheartened him a little bit. It does feel that way. It, they, they are coming up against so much. They, they need an ace in the hole. They need like, they need more than just the radiance that they have. 
They got a head start. They have steel. They had 4,000 plus years thanks to Talon, but it still not might not be enough because this is the final desolation. Like, this is the gloves are off. Odeon's doing his final push. Good luck. Uh, so Wit goes off to bring in the Heralds, uh, Talon and Ash. Um, while he's gone, Yasna brings up, oh, and by the way, uh, so did you read that proposal of mine of how I'm going to free every Alethi slave? And Dalinar's like, hang on, you can't free all the slaves. And Yasna's like, oh, I'm the queen. You can't tell me what I can and can't do. I um, love that. Like, come on. This is, imagine how Elokar would do if he decided, just like, I want to release all the slaves. Dalinar would be like, no. And Elokar would be like, okay. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Yaz is like, you can't tell me what I can do. I'm the queen. He got knocked down. Also, Mike points out, this is probably the best quote with how elsewhere callers work, which is, Yasna says this, I seek the line of action that does the most possible good for the most people. So that is sort of like the else caller motto, because we already know they, they blur the line from journey before destination. They're all about maximizing the most good for the most people. So it's the journey of humanity, not just, or whatever people they might view, not just their journey. It's the people's journey. I really need a bunch of else callers in a room with variations of the trolley problem. <laughs> well, they would all just run over the one person, no matter what, I think. I don't think there's any kind of situation where they were like, okay, we'll run over the five. Well, maybe if the one person is a doctor who will go on to save 100 people. Then maybe they'll save him. Anyway, so Yasna's going to free all the slaves. Um, I like it. She's like, it's going to happen. I'm just figuring out, like, I'm just editing my proposal. That's it. Like, I want it it to be flawless when I write it into law. It's all about the wording at this point, but it's happening. I, I know Mike is not a fan of Yasna, or at least what she's done. But I'm on Team Yasna, although I don't necessarily agree with her moral philosophy. I'm I'm not an ends justify the means type person, which is the the closest night radiant we have towards that view. But I think she's up to some good stuff. And so Navani and Dalinar point out that if you're freeing all the slaves, then doesn't that include the Ardents? And she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, so what? And they're like, well, aren't you like, wouldn't that be seen as an attack on the church? And from this proclaimed heretic and and she's like eh like no matter what i do it's going to be seen as an attack so so this is just to point out a little bit of a history lesson the ardents became slaves because it was sort of the reaction to the what was it hierarchy that there was the time when voranism uh the the religious order was sort of in control of of uh the alethi kingdom and they tried to assert that control. It was a big deal. It seems like they were getting the same visions that Dalinar ends up getting from the Stormfather, but they just didn't know what to do with it. They had the whole unite them type thing. And they decided to try to unite them through religion. It was really bad. Yeah, they came close to taking over the world, as Mike said, uh, which which is his theory. But I think that's pretty valid. And the reaction to that was that the Ardents had to be made slaves so that way they couldn't hold power. So this could be bad, but I will point out that I think they had the visions or at least someone 
in their religion had the visions and that's sort of why they went astray. So maybe the ardents not being slaves will be fine, but it could also be scary if they try to assert that power. We'll have to see because it's going to happen. Yes, it's making it happen. She gets what she wants. So Wit comes back with the two heralds that are on Team Radiant, which would be Shalash, uh, or they call her Ash for short, and Talinalot, uh, who they call Town. And Town, it should be pointed out, is totally crazy. And Ash is a little bit crazy. Um, Navani is completely discomforted by this because, you know, she grew up a faithful Warren person and these were basically religious figures um and here she sees them in all their crazy glory um so it's like for those of you who happen to be i guess catholic i guess it would be equivalent of your saints actually being alive so you get to meet them in person and then finding out they're they're not right in the head so it's sort of like this is her religious view she had like one expectation of how they should be and in reality, they're nothing like that. It's like, what do you do? How do you reconcile your expectation with what is reality? From your religion and faith, no less. But Wit does respect them. And that's an interesting thing for, for Wit to be like, to, to have this respect. They're, so he knows their cognitive shadows. Um, but he's very respectful towards them. So, I don't know. Is Wit a cognitive shadow? Do we know if Hoyd's actually... Not do we have a word of Brandon that he's not a cognitive shadow? That would be something to investigate. Yeah, there's like 30 things in the Cosmere that are old enough for Hoy to respect, and most of them are shards. <laughs> but then we also have heralds, which are very, very old. Yeah, and they were going against Odium, so we already know Hoy does not like Raze. Is is that all you have, Tori? Nope, I was waiting for you to be done. Oh, okay. So, um. We pick up from context that Yasna has been talking with these heralds pretty often and trying to glean their ancient knowledge and figure out if they know anything that can help Team Radiant in the present. Um, but because, as has been said, they're a little crazy. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a difficult conversations. Um, so she talks to Ash about bondsmiths. Um, and Ash is like, I already told you I don't know anything about that. And Yasna's like, well, you know, you mentioned the Oath Pact. And um, they talk about Brace, um, which is where the Voidbringers are. Uh, Ash says that it's a planet, and so is Ashen. Um, and verifies that the Oath Pact is broken. It's totally broken because, mm. because they killed my father. So um, yeah. the other herald that Moash killed because oh, yes, everybody right. hates Moash. Yeah. So uh, that, that actually broke the oath pack. That's interesting. But we still we know that Odium's still stuck in the system. So if if the oath pact was completely shattered, Odium would just leave. And he can't just leave. Or maybe he wants to destroy cultivation before he leaves. Yeah, Ash could be making some assumptions here. That is true, Mike. But so Yasna theorizes that Dalinar, as a bondsmith, could repair or replicate the Oath Pact somehow. Um, and we know that the Shin have the Honor Blades and have been working with them and practicing with them for a number of years. And so they possibly have experience with the bondsmith powers. Um, they have reached out to Shin Shinavar trying to 
get this information, but all of their messengers disappear. And whenever they send um, Windrunners, the, there's a hail of arrow, arrows to greet them. So Shinovar not being very friendly right now. Mm, so that's another uh, problem. So we have a couple of problems in this uh, book. We have we have to get the Honor Sprint to maybe join Team Radiant. We have to get the Shin to... We need to at least have a talk with the Shin, which is in the physical realm. And we don't know what's happening with the Tower and the sibling and the Vani. So that's also something happening in this book. So we got a lot of threads that we need to, we need to follow. But so Yasna points out that if they do have a stable hold on Makabak, then they will be better equipped to deal with Shinovar. Uh, and Dalinar's like, okay, that's a good point. And then he starts to ask Ash to tell him more about um, the Shin. And that's the end of that chapter. Okay. Um, yeah, we got a, a lot of good things here. Mike says, what if they kill Ishar, which triggers the Oath Pact? They being Team Radiant. But then he immediately gives up because he's on Team Odium. Well, that would be silly. So if the Heralds give up and they let Odium win, I think Odium just wins. I think that's just a Odium wins and then he's free to leave because he won the Oath Pack. So I don't think it's going to be that easy. I, I think I think we need to know. We need to see the. OK, this is this is exactly what happened in Mistborn. We need to read the contract here. We need to know what exactly was the Oath Pack and how it's formed, which I think is what Dalinar was getting to, because if he can sort of replicate that being a bondsmith, he needs to sort of know what went into the Oath Pack in the first place. So we might get to hear more about what the Oath Pack is and how it works, but we'd have to hear it from Ishar. Um, who knows if we're going to get that in this book. And that seems like a good place to end the episode. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, it's just usually Mike cuts you off, and he can't because he's not talking. So I'm going to cut you off, and we're going to end the episode right there, it, and wait, we're going to say... Do I say, get one more theory? No, we're going to say goodnight, Internet. Oh, I actually don't have anything else. So. Yeah, goodnight, Internet. Bye, Internet, and I'm sure Mike says bye as well. Okay. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made-Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.